Hello, David Zeritsky for the Bond Experience. Welcome back. Let's let's take a moment to really acknowledge the fact that James Bond without action is kind of like, well, it's just Downton Abbey, really. You've got to have really great action as a part of these films. It, it helps in the escapism, the wonderment, and it's really driven the franchise. So I wanted to talk about action today, but well, it's, it's not a subject that I can talk about just by myself. So I've invited two individuals that I think have an amazing action background. We could start to pick apart the pieces of the Bond franchise. The first one is actually an author, a researcher, and this is his latest book, Ever Heard of Evil Knievel by John Autty. And our next author who I'm bringing on is not just an author, a doctor, and a podcaster, all-around Bond fan, Lisa Funnel, holding some incredibly pertinent books in what we're going to be talking about today. And so I'd like to bring them on board. Without further ado, John Otte and Dr. Lisa Funnel. Welcome. Hello. Hi. Now, I, by the way, short introduction, because I want to get to the meat of the matter of really talking about action with you. But John, what I've loved is you've made action and stunts a part of your research. Tell us a little bit about your YouTube channel. Well, the YouTube channel um, has been going, in fact, this year, it's 12 years it's been going um, uh, behind the stunts. And um, it covers everything that is connected with action for film and television, whether it's looking at those individuals concerned who perform or it's looking at the techniques and the science behind it and how it's evolved over the years. So there's a, there's a whole bunch of clips and all sorts of stuff going on there, but particularly of late. Uh, because of the book, I've um, I've been doing little shorts about each movie and breaking down certain action sequences and, and trying to explain how it was done then. And, and then you look at them in later films and think, oh, they've changed it. That's how it's changed. It's evolved over time time so that's that's my uh, that's my in at this moment <laughs> your claim to fame that's my and, claim and to fame. dr lisa funnel which i'll affectionately call lisa for the remainder of this um but you know worth noting the fact that you too i mean we've had great conversations and you said what really brings you back to the bond films is the action and you've you've not only written about this you've taught about this You've podcasted about this, and I, I'd like to think that you're you're actually a supporter of action in what you do. Is that stand to be corrected? Or I love action films, and they're my bread and butter. Even before I studied Bond, I wrote my undergraduate thesis on masculinity in Arnold Schwarzenegger films. So I have talked about gender and action films because that's what I love to watch. And then, of course, I've talked about men, I've talked about women, I've talked about performance, and everything that John is saying. Like I'm just fascinated by his approach. I can bring a particular lens, but I don't have the technical know-how and I can't dissect a scene in terms of its component parts. So I'm super excited <laughs> to talk to John today and see what we can come, what we can come together. We can cross the streams here. Yes. That's my absolutely. Ghostbusters metaphor. <laughs> I like that. No, that's, that's actually a really good one. Well, we're going to start to cross the streams because here's what I'm doing today. We're going to take a, a page from Skyfall and I'm going to basically be your action psychiatrist MC. And I've pulled together a few incredibly random action scenes from movies, which I think as Bond fanatics, I don't hesitate to say that about you in the most wonderful way, 
you will recognize, and let's just talk about them. You know, what, what kind of emotions do they incur? What do you remember about seeing them for the first time? I'd love to get your opinion because these are very, very individual, how everybody treats these. So without further ado, let me take a look at this one moment. And here we are. So obviously, I would imagine, as you hear helicopters above me, don't anybody panic. This is not going to turn into an action scene. <laughs> I, I didn't think that warrant was still outstanding, David. I, 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 I promise you there would be action orientation here more oh, than just right. garbage. Yeah. So looking at this, I mean, first of all, John, let's start off. Um, wh what film is this from? We'll play a game. A game? Okay. Uh, well, it's from Skyfall. Um, and what's what's interesting, certainly from from my point of view, is the, the way in which he goes from the sequence itself. The shot is, of course, taking uh, or, or trying not to hit uh, the, uh, the the young lady there with the uh, with the glass on her head. The, the, the trying not to uh, Severine, and then the takedown of those around him. And it's it's um, it's edited in such a way. With a lot of these shots you see in films, the edit improves the sequence. Now I have seen some raw footage of the take of this, and it's been practiced over and over and over again to the point where it is as fluid as can be. And the shot you see on film is very much the shot that you see in the movie. So uh, the concept of the, of the of the Daniel Craig movies, doing it for real, getting it done as that's, he's been taken through, he's gone through intensive training and they have you know, rehearsed that to the point where it can be rehearsed no more. He is as good as mm -hmm. the character he's portraying or indeed the professionals who are surrounding him or teaching him as an actor, Daniel Craig, to do this. And uh, it is, it's extraordinary work. I must admit, it's yeah. very, it's, and again, blink of an eye, blink yeah. of an eye, but they would have taken maybe weeks, possibly months to get that to that speed and to yeah. get it right. You know, that's the whole thing about putting the money on the screen. They do it there. Lisa, what do you think? I mean, you see this, I mean, obviously you remember the action moment, <laughs> your thoughts. I have a lot of thoughts. So in terms of my action background, I feel as though I like the fact that Daniel Craig is a body-based James Bond, right? It's all about his body, how his body is acting, reacting, responding to pain. And in this scene, you have him, in a sense, recovering from, you know, the issues that he's had in the past, not being able to hold a gun and shoot straight. So he's going through his own personal um, 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 issues there. And then he's utilizing the body of another man as a shield. And so for me, there's just like a lot of body focused here that I think is is definitely typical of the Daniel Craig era, but I like how they utilize bodies in this respect. And then to pick up on something else John said, the rest of the scene in the context has to do with Severine and her being disposable in this particular film. If you if you took Severine out of the film, I don't think it would have that much of a of an impact in, in my opinion. And so just to see her and her body and what it represents, it, re it represents a body that has been sold, a body that has been traded and abused. And it's a body that is considered disposable by Silva where he's doing sort of the shot practice. Mm -hmm. um, and then she is the, you know, the, the focus of, of that. And it's interesting when we talk about framing of action, 
when my students watch Skyfall, they don't know that she has died. Some of them don't register because it's so quick with just the way that it's shot with just seeing her body go limp uh, in terms of its fragmentation. So they're not even sure. They think, because I asked them about, you know, the women of Bond, do they survive? And most of them get it wrong because it is a blink and you'll miss it shot. And yeah. I think the editing there is just not strong enough, but the rest of the action is really body focused. So I, I think it's a very interesting scene. I like that a lot. It's interesting because I've, what I've heard from a lot of people is they have mixed feelings about this, which is why I wanted to kick it off with this action scene. Mm. In one way, it's Bond, and John, you described this very well, being total badass. I mean, he he's taking out these guys. How much was he kind of fooling his, you know, uh, you know, kind of lack, his weakness, if you will, in this scene? But on the other point, they're like, oh my gosh, Severine, like, you know, we, we hardly got to know you. And was it really necessary, you know, for that whole interaction with Bond, you know, not saving her, but maybe even sacrificing her in a way? There's, there's a great deal of bluff going on here as well, because I don't, he's trying to, it's not the fact that he, he, he he's a marksman. He's a world-class marksman. He can hit a target. That's not an issue, but he doesn't want to hit this target very clearly. Mm. And he certainly doesn't want to risk it on the basis of the weapon that he's using, which is a period piece weapon. So the idea that, that, you know, he has to miss. Okay. So he misses never thinking for a moment that, that Silver's going to go bang and then finish the job for him, you know? Right. So there's the, there's the shock, there's the emotion, there's everything is taken up in those few frames leading up to that image. And the, then what the, the carnage that takes place afterwards in him almost saying, right, okay, that's, that's wiped the slate clean. I've sorted this out. And, yeah. uh, and then the helicopters do the rest, you know? That's right. I, I knew you were going to uh, I knew you were going to have something to say about this. Well, let's let's go to the next image because you're not done by a long shot. So here we go. And we've got the next image, which, of course, is Goldeneye yeah. and uh, and the train explosion. And, and Lisa, we're going to go with you first here. You know, you've got a big smile on your face. Sorry. <laughs> I like Goldeneye. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting what this reminds me and some of the work that I've done has really looked at how women in Bond films have evolved. And when I think about Natalia Simonova, she is somebody who has her own, in some ways, actionish sequences, although I'd say Michelle Yeoh is the first one to have like a true action sequence on her own fight sequence. But Natalia Simonova certainly has to, you know, dodge um, things falling and she saves herself at the beginning of the film. And so I've always had a lot of respect for her character um, and, and her ability to avoid fire. <laughs> and this is a very interesting image because the train sequence right before a little bit of it is problematic with Sean being saying, you know, um, Sean being, Alec Treblian is <laughs> saying, you know, Bond and I share everything. And I don't like it when women are, are treated in that way, the same sort of severine treatment that women are objects to be traded. But you have the two of them working together and she's doing the technical stuff, which Bond yeah. cannot do. And she says, Bond, get us out of here and demands it and figure out a way. And this is the two of them where he literally drags her out because she wants to finish, you know, the, the technical things that she's doing. But he's like, no, we need to we need to run and jump so we don't die. And I love seeing both of these actors committing 
to the jump. Like you look at her face. I, I don't know what Bond's doing, but I'm looking at her face and I believe that they are running. Yeah. Right. Committing to that type of, of a jump and seeing when you see when you see actors faces doing action, that is a guarantee for me of the real. Right. If you don't see faces, it's most likely a stunt person doing it. But in this scene, I just love both of their commitment. And this is to me is a true partnership. The two of them need each other, yin and yang. They cannot complete this mission without each other. So those Lisa, are I feel like you were in my head when I chose this because I do <laughs> feel there are some moments in the Bond franchise that really do show excellent partnership, uh, both men and women together doing things. And I think this is, this is like, we're using our skill sets. I'm using my gadget. I'm using my, you know, you know, thinking resourcefulness and, and you're doing the tech skills, but also she's feisty as hell of this. And, and that face, I think, you know, captures it perfectly. Now, John, I saw some behind the scenes shots of this. I'm sure you have as well. That's a pretty severe scene, isn't it? It is. Uh, it's uh, shot on the Noon Valley Railway there at Peterborough and is uh, firstly that's a real explosion and they are really in that shot you know and what's also interesting is that isabella skorupko is so encased in the character that she realizes having been spoken to by by martin campbell that the distance from the explosion to there uh, means that they would have had to have exerted a great deal of energy in order to get to where they are now. So, so that she is, for the following scene, so that the dialogue sequence, so that she is, has enough reality about the whole thing and is taking lots of deep breaths, she was running up and down, up and down the whole time before the take, just running up and down and then eventually coerced Pierce into doing similar sorts of exercise. So running up and down so they could both do that dialogue with a little breath behind them now of course the first part of that sequence is them dropping through the hole and climbing out from the bottom they've tried it it the actors have tried it it hasn't quite worked and wayne michaels and tracy edden have done it for them so they leave the shot from underneath and then the running away from camera is these two and uh, there's a, a again another behind the scenes moment where that explosion is so graphic that debris is falling on top of the camera position and a guy comes in and quickly whips away a, a flaming piece of board which has landed just on top of the camera and the two of them are lying there you know so it's very real uh, but Simon Crane the coordinator in conjunction with Martin Campbell says we've got to get it real we've got to do it for real let's make sure that they do it and they're as committed as the characters are to get away from that explosion yeah, it's we'll a very a memorable link. sequence. There's no doubt about that. We'll put a link up because I do find it fascinating. And you're right. You know, she's, you know, sitting there to prep, jumping up and down and trying to get all sweaty. And he's sitting there at first just kind of trading <laughs> his tie. Exactly, I, yeah. I, I know you got to look good, Pierce, but, you know, get into yeah. the moment here for sure. Yeah. And, and by the way, the, Lee, Lee, oh, God, sorry. No, I was just going to say that from a, you know, this is um, this is not Stanislavski by any stage of the imagination, but what it is, you know, it is the two of them making a decision in conjunction with the director and the director says, you've got to run like hell. Your life depends on it. as the And that's exactly what they're doing. And in, in order to prepare, she's prepared to do as much as possible and says, well, if I'm doing it, you're doing it too and drags Pierce along as well. I love it. <laughs> All right, let's go to the next one. Okay, and and 
once again, I'm going to have to start with Lisa on this one. First because Lisa, <laughs> My body I, language is like, yeah. I mean, first of all, there's so much for you to talk about here. We could probably end the video with this one picture, but <laughs> why, don't, why don't you just begin wherever you feel like you would like to? Well, we're going to begin with Michelle Yeoh because Michelle Yeoh is an amazing, an amazing bona fide action star in her own right. She, at this point, was a huge star in East and Southeast Asia. She's somebody who started with Girls with Guns films, uh, somebody who demonstrated her ability with traditional Chinese weaponry. She had a background in dance and was great with choreography, but just her skill set is quite impressive. Uh, to pick up the action style choreography. And then of course, shifting into uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. I've always read this as being just like taking Michelle Yeoh's like character in Hong Kong action and transplanting it into James Bond, just because I feel as though like the film can't contain <laughs> her. Every time she's on the screen, my eye is attracted to her, whether it is the red coat or the action that happens. And with this scene, yes, the two of them are riding this motorcycle. And of course it takes two of them to do it, but when I think about the labor, the action labor, she's the one who's constantly moving from the back of the bike to the front of the bike. Um, she's doing the physical labor while Pierce Brosnan's bond is, is, is doing the driving and driving is important, but she is somebody who has such a background in terms of stunt work that this type of action is what I love from her. And this type of action, I think really elevates this, this scene. I love so it. So I, I, I loved when you discussed this. There's a podcast out there that I, I quite like, and I like the people a lot as well, uh, Dress to Kill podcast. And you had a great discussion around this scene where I didn't even know this, but I guess they were told, they were each told as actors separately that you're going to be on the bike steering it. And so that's why you had that real kind of go after it in a very authentic way. Is that true? That's, I mean, that's the report that, I, that I've read is, is that that was the direction that was given. And again, I, I love that idea of directing the actor separately. And the, you have like a true scene of both of them being like, wait a second, <laughs> who's supposed to go first? And, and I think that it creates a very memorable scene. The two of them as figures in this movie are fighting for control. Who is going to lead this mission? Is it going to be you know, Bond representing the UK? Is it Michelle Yeoh's character, Waylon, representing China? And how do we, in a sense, like renegotiate in, in a post-1997 world with the handover of Hong Kong back to China? How do we renegotiate Hong Kong and, and British connections between these two figures working together? And I think that this, this bike scene is just a really good example. And just with clothing, um, I feel as though like blue largely represents like the UK as being sort of like a, a traditional or typical like um, uniform. So there's a lot of blue like in the Craig era for a reason. Everybody wears blue <laughs> in MI6. And then of course you have have red being associated oftentimes, sometimes problematically, but with, with China um, in terms of their flag and stuff like that. So just throwing that all out there. John, do you do you gush over this action moment just like Lisa and I do? Well, I do, I do, for for varying reasons, I must admit. I, I will touch for a moment on wardrobe. Um, I'm going to go all Pete Brooker on you for a minute here because the wardrobe is a very, very clever piece of wardrobe, and I'll explain why. Um, it's, it's almost impossible to ride a motorcycle with, particularly a motorcycle like this, the power of a motorcycle with one hand, particularly, and that's why she's having to control the clutch with the other hand. But 
you have there's certainly for the the action that is required the speed that the bike is traveling at which is why when the um the stunt doubles are brought in uh, jean-pierre goy who's who's riding the motorcycle and wendy leach who's the passenger um there are sequences where they are holding wendy is holding that uh, handlebar and and uh, jean-pierre is controlling the bike but there are other sequences where the wardrobe is such that he is wearing a blue shirt with a red sleeve from here down uh, and you catch it a couple of times so consequently he she is holding her own wrist not in this shot but she is holding her own arm so that's her arm coming over the top and her arm coming up from the bottom so in the action sequences she's holding on and pierce will be riding the motorcycle for the, some of the physical shots that's a shot where they are attached to a rig and they are being dragged through the shot therefore she can physically hold on with one hand and he can hold on with the other but in the actual shots themselves it's a very clever moment where they've decided there's a simpler way around this let's just simply split the shirt in two so from the elbow down it's a red shirt and from everything else it's a blue shirt so it's done cleverly um, and of course for those fast moving action moments well when Wendy has to move from the front of the bike to the back of the bike or vice versa. That's done at speed. That's done at 40 miles an hour in a very short space of time. And the, the bike itself is incredibly powerful. Jean-Pierre Goy chosen because he's the only man really who has the ability to put that thing on two wheels, one wheel rather, instead of two and be able to perform the type of stuff that's performed but some of the moments in the in the sequence for instance where um uh, michelle yo picks up a piece of metal from the side and and knocks the bolt out from from something and, and these these uh, uh from a back of a trolley right that was her idea thrown into the sequence how about if i did this that's a great idea let's have a see if we can play with it so that's how it happened so a lot of those moments happen organically but they are obviously very very storyboarded but this is this is one of those ones that took uh, well, a good three weeks to film i think in total once they've got everything sorted but it's uh, again vic armstrong doing what he does best those type of action shots there's lots of shots from behind other vehicles so you you cover what's going on in front you're you're covering it all up you know it's very similar to uh, uh, the octopusy pre-title you get the car holding the upright and you put lots of people in front of it so you don't see what's going on similar sort of situation here but uh, again a terrific sequence that uh, possibly a bit long maybe in the movie the uh, the uh, motorbike sequence but it's great it ticks all the boxes from what you want from an audience perspective well i've, I've got to tell you first of all i'm so happy i invited you both because i feel like each one of these pictures could be its own video you both have so much unique information but that's the second thing too we've got to go to the next one for sure but um I love this discussion so far. And well, here we go. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, accidents happen and you know, they especially do with you. But uh, John, we'll start with you on this one. Remember this, do you remember this part? Oh yes, uh, in uh, Corfu, uh, pretending to be Spain and uh, for your eyes only. And of course, um, Remy Julien brought in by, um, by director John Glenn. That was, one of, that was one of his major casting 
moments as as director when offered the role he'd been doing second unit he'd been doing editing work but he'd also been very aware of of uh, the the wonderful presence of Remo Julien in Europe and the type of um, motor vehicle gags that he was doing that just brought everything to a different level you could have a relatively short a very small budget picture and you'd give Reme a moment in it to try and change it and it would suddenly become the talking point of the movie well here's an example um you know he bond arrives with that wonderful lotus and then it's uh, it's blown up because the stunt coordinator bob simmons tries to break into it uh, and the car explodes well here's a sequence where they had a number of things to do along the way uh Reme suggested we turn it over roll it down make it indestructible and of course, it's uh, something that's often symbolized with French motoring, the 2CV, the Deux Chevaux. So it's got uh, a state-of-the-art um, uh, rig in there, the uh, roll cage in there. He's driving in this instance uh, with, uh, with his lovely long wig that he's wearing. But interestingly, from this point of view, and this image particularly, this is a natural piece of road. This has not been created for the movie. This is as it is. The only addition is the market stall on the left-hand side of shot there, and the guy on the left-hand side with the hat, that's Greg Powell. Now, Greg Powell was the guy who literally chased, just a few moments ago, chased Bond through the, through the, uh, the grounds and then was shot by Molina with the arrow. Now, he's standing there in a new hat and a rather exciting moustache if you see him in a further shot. But he's there for a reason, because the next shot you see is Bond and Molina getting out of the vehicle and the car being rolled back over. Well, for safety purposes, you know, there needs to be somebody there to keep a control and make sure that the lead actor doesn't accidentally stick his foot in the way and the car land on his foot. Also, John Glenn creeps into a scene in that as well. So in the background, you'll be able to spot him as he's helping the car being pushed back over. Um, but that's just the start of it. Then they switch roles. Then Melina steps out. You don't mind if I drive, do you? And in gets Roger. And all of a sudden, give us a push and off they go. And then the, then the trace starts. You know, it's a 2CV. They're being chased by Peugeots. Not in a million years would you expect them to outrun them. But Bond's behind the wheel. So anything's possible. And, and she does give him that look as he handbrake turns the car around the corner. She looks at him as if to say, how are you doing this in my car? I can't do this in my car. How are you managing to do it? So, you know, that's the way that the, the, it, it plays. It, it starts sedately and then it picks up and uh, it could be a car chase with, uh, with any type of vehicle. Bond gets into any type of vehicle and makes it, you know, one that cannot be caught as, as in this instance. Well, so John, first of all, this video is now going to turn into, is there any action scene that John doesn't know everything about? Um, but second of all, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think this is a lot of fun. I like the fact that they walked away from a cool Bond car and kind of gave this, you know, like, you know, type <laughs> of exactly. moment. But I also picked this, uh, quite frankly, because uh, Lisa and I were part of the Fear Eyes Only uh, book club. And uh, there's that damn helicopter again. Um, and one of the things we talked about was Judy Havelock in the book versus Melina Havelock here in the film. And I do think there are moments where, you know, somebody could kind of raise an arched eyebrow in action scene for example melina starts out driving and then bond kind of takes over to your point and even that whole thing of like everything's better with bond on it you know like butter um but lisa what was you know kind of how do you, do you can you still love this action film do you kind of analyze it a little differently you know yeah so i think that 
our conversation from talking about this in the book club from her having a sports car to having her show up in this car I think is is a huge way of just like I don't want to say to put her down but it definitely is a step down because when we think about cars and car culture Bond meets women and he gets excited by women who are dangerous drivers and this is something that's been part of the Bond franchise before this and it's something that's definitely there well after and so for this to be her car rather than say any sort of sports car um I really feel as though it just it's a step down for her and it reminds me of was it Kirby or Kirby, the car that could like drive itself. Kirby, uh, yep. Kirby, yep. right? It reminds. I can't help but think of of that in that type of a moment. Um, and it's funny because we've talked about how serious this film is. This is probably the most serious Bond film in the Moore era, right? There's sure. a lot of gags everywhere else, but I think that for me, my question is like, why is this the gag associated with her and her driving, right? When other women have had better cars, other women have demonstrated it. And I feel like part of me just feels as though a lot of the humor here is a little bit more at her expense than her being involved in it. And so yeah. I have a little mixed feelings about the, the, the Bond taking over and being like, I'll drive and I can drive better. And I get Bond's amazing, but I just don't like sometimes that it takes away from women when driving is is, is a signifier of identity for women and, and compatibility with bonds. Sure. I, I never, I, for, there was a moment when I initially thought, having looked at it a couple of times, that maybe it was a higher car because obviously it's supposed to be Spain. So she's come all the way from Corfu. And I thought, okay, well, maybe it's just, you know, a cheap hire car. But then the moment when it rolls down the, the hill and she says, go backwards, forwards quickly. How would you possibly know that if, <laughs> if that wasn't your car? You know, uh, I, I'd barely be able to start the thing properly. If I had a hire car, I'd be stalling the whole thing all the time. But she knows, go backwards, forwards quickly to get it into reverse. And it's, you know, it's column control. It's all a bit weird. Uh, so I'm assuming it is her car. But it, it's a good point. It, it, it's it's not as though, you know, she's been given, um, uh, you know, the Jinx Jordan special. You know, she's she's been given, you know, this old thing. You know that that uh, well, you know, do your best with this. But uh, I suspect that maybe it's it's well loved, and that's why she's thinking, well, I, this is not something that I can normally do in this vehicle. You know. Yeah. Well, let's 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 do something. Let's put a little bit of wound cream, some salve, if you will. <laughs> And go to this cream. Well, <laughs> we'll go to this picture and, and see if, if if this makes up uh, for kind of the Roger moment or or not. But <laughs> yeah. Lisa, I'm sure you remember this from the man with the golden gun. Lisa, you like it, flow. love it. I mean, it's yeah. not Michelle Yao, but it's it's a for me, it's a great moment. Yeah. You know, you have Bond stepping into and waking up in the karate school, in a sense, disrespecting, but finding his way out of, of sort of like the customs. Bond is very much physically outmatched. He's not trained in karate. He's not necessarily trained, formally trained to the same degree as people who have spent their entire lives training, right, at a particular karate school, right? And so you have him jumping out and then you have, oh gosh, is it Lieutenant Hip? Yes. Yeah, so Lieutenant Hip, these are his two nieces, and Bond says, you know, stand back, ladies, I have this. And they're like, screw <laughs> you. And they come forward, and they pretty much kick everybody's butt. And it's a very surprising, unexpected moment, um, possibly, I would say, more for, say, Western audiences. 
um, that this would be something that is surprising. But a huge aspect of any sort of Chinese or Asian filmmaking is the fact that anybody can be skilled in martial arts, right? Martial yeah. arts, what I love about it is that it doesn't require a muscular body. It doesn't require you to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's, it's about skill and precision rather than the weight of the blow. And so you can, you can be old, you can be young, you can be of various genders, sizes, body shapes. If anybody knows Sammo Hung, you know. Sammo Hung is probably one of yeah. the best action fighters and stars and has a long career, but he doesn't have a body that we would typically associate um, with, say, action heroes, right? And so, I love the unexpected nature and sort of throwing this in that anybody can be skilled and these young women come out and they kick everybody's butt and Bond's just sitting there being like, awesome. <laughs> yeah. John, now, if you know the type of wood they used in the background, I'm not gonna be surprised, but you must know this scene, of course. Everybody loves a nice piece of hickory. Let me tell you about that. <laughs> um, but I, I think um, this is, it's always, it's a very, it's a very odd sequence because, um, you know, Hip turns up to help and um, and then at the end of the sequence drives off and leaves him to it. It's a very weird moment. <laughs> yes. I'm not quite sure what's going on. It's always bothered me slightly. The story, of course, the legend is that, uh, uh, and I'm trying desperately to to pronounce the young lady's name correctly, uh, Vegicheva, I, I believe, is the is the young lady, Joey Vegicheva. She's the lady, the young lady on the left. Now, she wrote to the production and asked uh, you know to be considered for a role and was was given a role in the picture oh, wow. the other young lady is yun kyo um and uh, she's an actress and uh, was was part of the uh, beijing opera um and studied there for for many years with uh, with uh, hong kong film stars who include sammo hung you mentioned sammo and jackie chan and yun byu um, who, of course, made all of those terrific um, uh, dragons pictures uh, throughout the uh, the mid '80s, um, and the uh, the stunt arranger, the fight arranger for this particular sequence is a guy called Chin Yun Sang, and he's the guy at the end who gets thrown over the bridge. Um, oh. So he's the arranger for the entire sequence, and the sequence itself is very much directed around the two young girls because of you know, their capabilities in martial arts and the uh, humor of the whole thing, I guess, maybe based around the fact that Roger says, don't worry girls, I'll sort this out. And then realizes that he can't really sort this out because these <laughs> girls are way superior to him uh, dealing with all of this. And the, these type of fights, again, a lot of moves possibly slowed down just a touch. Uh, oh. You'll note, of course, from, from a lot of those, um, uh, Jackie pictures and Sammo Hung that, that, that many of these fight scenes would have been sped up. It gives the impression of being sped up, but they're not. They're just, they rehearse them slowly and then they pick the pace up and pick the pace up during the fight. Well, here they've maybe just made it as, as appropriate as they possibly can. I think a lot of the guys who were, who were being the subject of this fight and uh, being on the receiving end of many of these blows uh, had to think a double quick time because they know that there's a shout coming from over there and then she's coming from over here and we have to react to accordingly um but the, the, the fight itself although has a humorous edge is actually a very important moment for women in the film and women in the in, in the franchise i think that out of nowhere you've suddenly got the hero and he can't do anything in this situation he's not capable of being able to look after the, look, i'll stand back girls i'll look after. he can't they're looking after him 
and they've been able to sort him out, enabling him to get away and eventually sort out the rest of the boat chase. But uh, it's it's an important moment in the in the picture, I think. I, I love it. I love it to this day. I think it's fun um, and, and to your point, maybe even important because, you know, it's Bond literally saying, stand back, pushing them it back. Is. And then they, in turn, push him back. Indeed. And to me, it's it's this great representation because you could really, you know, wax poetic for a long time about how much that's been represented in the movies. But from an action mm -hmm. standpoint, you know, something very special is going to happen. You get that anticipation of, wow, this is going to be something very big. And it is. Mm -hmm. It is. And it's it's a nice comparison or, or the women in this particular movie are not necessarily the most empowered. So whether you're talking about Andrea Anders and her tragic role or you look at, oh, what is her name? You know who I'm talking about. Blonde. Mary Goodnight. Mary Goodnight. Yeah. Mary Goodnight is, is not very empowered and Mary Goodnight makes a lot of mistakes throughout and she's the leading woman. And so to see these women be in contrast to that, being sort of capable, competent, confident and able to take care of the job, like you say, I think it's a very important moment. But mm. for me, as somebody who loves diversity in film and loves seeing specifically Asian women in film, I think it's an important moment to showcase the, the capability of Asian women in cinema mm. as well. And sure. Lisa, you know, I don't, I don't, necessarily want to go backwards, but I will say this. Um, mm -hmm. What I loved about too is these two women who are clearly the most cap capable women in this film um, are not centralized, they're not sexualized. And I felt that in Tomorrow Never Dies, although I love that. I mean, it literally makes my top five, which just makes people cringe. I don't know why. But um, Michelle Yao, I feel like the, the thing at the end with her and Bond was A, unnecessary, and B, felt a little out of place. Um, like, I almost didn't want her to be centralized in alignment with Bond. How do you feel about that? I am 100% with you. I think that there are some instances where it's forced. And I think Melina Havelock and Michelle Yeoh's Wei Lin are two examples where romance is just part of the character, and yet it doesn't actually fit with any of the storyline and any of the chemistry or imagery that comes before. And when we think about Asian women, Asian women are often stereotyped, and they tend to be stereotyped in relation to white men. So there's positive and negative stereotypes for Asian women. You have the lotus blossom stereotype where you are presented in, in Western and specifically Hollywood films as being um, more servile, uh, but you're being exoticized for, for your relationship to the white male subject. And then you have the dragon lady who is presented as being um, more cunning, more aggressive, and she's vilified because she takes him away from his, his mission and she sort of claims some of his power. But in both cases, Asian women are being defined in relation to their sexuality. And that is a dominant representation that is out there. So to see imagery where that is not the primary focus, right? Where that's not like their identity, when, you, when you're essentialized, you're boiled down into certain qualities and characteristics. And when sex and sexuality are not that, for Asian women on screen in the 1970s, that matters. And I think that is my anger when it comes to Tomorrow Never Dies, because Michelle Yeoh's character is not presented as being sexualized or fetishized. Her body's not placed on display. She's somebody who's very action-oriented. She's someone who's incredibly beautiful, right? She can be incredibly beautiful, but she doesn't always have to be placed on display. And I felt her character totally circumvented sort of this notion that Bond girl, the Bond girl is a predetermined sexualized role. And then you throw in the end, and I always think of um, Aki from You Only Live Twice, who yeah. says to Bond, like, I will be happy serving under you. And so to see Michelle Yeoh's character literally under Bond, um, it always reminds me of that. And 
yeah, I, I'm not. A so, so everybody watching this video that clicked on the thumbnail for action, they're like, this just got deep. Really? <laughs> John, yeah. we're going to have you back when Lisa and I host the sensuality of Bond. And cool. Bond. <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the way, this next image. Um, so the next image, before I even bring it up. Is it, there a disclaimer here? It, it's not a disclaimer, but I'm almost thinking, being Bond fans, you could almost guess from my description of what it's going to be before it comes up. This action scene gets dinged a lot mm. for pacing. What do we think the action scene is going to be? For pacing? pacing? Oh, I pacing. see. It's slow. Uh, it's presumably underwater, is it? It is. Ah, <laughs> welcome to Thunderball, everybody. Correct. <laughs> and and this isn't really about anything other than, you know, I enjoy this scene to date still, but for many people, and for some reason, I, I find, and I'm not trying to do any ageism here, but especially for younger people that are used to, you know, that type of input and action being something that doesn't create static moments. Like, I don't want to see a body slowly falling. I want to see just pure adrenaline. But John, talk to me about this mm -hmm. scene. Well, I mean, the the, the scene itself, you know, a, a majority of Thunderball is set underwater. And and the, the concept of of having to create action means that particularly divers like this and, and the team that were put together had to create dirt dives the way that, that, that skydivers create a dirt dive. They work out the routines on dry land. Everybody knows where they need to be. They go in the water. They recreate them. Um, now, you have to do that to a certain point here. The, the pacing of the movie, particularly looking at 1965, you can't speed the frames up. It makes it, makes it very obvious that's what you're doing. There has to be a, a moment of calm underwater, chaos happening above you, but below it's calmer, and then this happens. Well, it's not going to be as frantic as it would be on dry land. You know, you have to take the ocean into consideration. The ocean itself plays a major character in this. Um, do the same people who, who think that this is uh, a bit slow and dull say the same things about Jaws, which you don't see the shark for an hour, you know, yeah. uh, everything is just suggested here. Well, maybe maybe the underwater sequences could have been suggested more. I don't know. Uh, I think that the initial meeting with uh, Domino, I think, is rather lovely. Uh, and the fact that they, you know, they are in this this place together and, oh, he's saved. She's got a, her flipper trapped between mm -hmm. the rock and then the conversation starts. But the end sequence very simply has to take place, a large proportion of the picture, mm -hmm. underwater. Compare this to Never Say Never Again. Does the pace of the movie change? Yes, it does slightly. They they do tend to, to add in additional shots. There's there's uh, shots of the... Of the uh, uh, what's it called? Tears of Allah happening at the same time as some of the underwater sequences. So they're blending together. Um, but I've always been a big fan of Thunderball. Yeah. Thunderball was always one of my, uh, it was the first movie I owned on, on video cassette in the, oh. uh, in the scene. Oh, and so I played that to death, but the underwater sequences I like very much, but I can, I can understand why people think that it needs to yeah. be sped up a little perhaps. Lisa, what, how do you feel about this the pacing? Does it, is it connect for you or you're just kind of like, Ugh, where's the fast forward? 
when you say that, I feel like I'm such a bad film professor because I watch it at 1.5 speed. <laughs> is it, wow. Now I want to see what that looks like. Is it, is it more fun? It's just it's a little bit more dynamic, and it has to do a lot with, like, the development of action filmmaking, right? We're talking here about 1965, where this is a film that is really a precursor to the development of blockbuster action filmmaking, right? It is, it is showing us a big action sequence, um, and, and I think John is spot on. You have the ocean being the biggest factor and bodies move slower on mm -hmm. ocean. But we also have to think about editing techniques, right? Rapid editing has an impact, right? When, when we see, you know, fights taking place and if there's rapid cutting, it makes our pulse race, right? Visually, we are being stimulated and we call it sort of like the kinesthetics of action, right? It's bodies moving and the images are moving and we're moving with it. And so we've become accustomed or acclimated to a quicker pace today. So when we go back and watch these films, it's a different pace, it's at a different era of, of filmmaking. So I can appreciate what it was doing, doing it underwater, large, it's a large scale battle sequence like you would get in a war film, but it's taking place underwater and that is notable that they that they did everything that john said is very notable but i think it has to do with us and the way that we have changed over time and so when i teach it i always tell my tell my students 1.5 speed is your friend but we have to be able to appreciate what is going on in this film and and and, and all of the underwater sequences and john is right like it's not just this bond meets domino derval underwater bond makes love to domino derval underwater right water has always been a huge feminine element as well and so i think that i i i, I and I always get asked about bikinis and stuff. Like, how do you feel about it? I'm like, it makes sense in Thunderball because it's friggin' hot and everything takes place underwater. So I expect people in bathing suits. So I don't see that as being sexualization. I see that as being like, everybody there is going to be in a bathing suit. Yeah, so practicality and reality. Yeah, it's just, it's practical. And yeah. so I think that there's just a lot to appreciate in this particular film, the way that water is yeah. being utilized. Yeah. The only thing though, John, and I don't know if you, you know this, um, and my question is like, the very end. So I love the fact that Domino shoots the villain. Uh, but then, like the the way that the image is projected as it's hitting the rocks, to me has always seemed like t it's terrible, and that's sped up and forward. And I always felt like that ruined. The you know that somebody the somebody on the set has said. 1.5 is your friend here. Just do shove, <laughs> shove, shove the back projection on really quick. It'll be fine. It does. It's out of context, isn't it? Yeah. You know, they, yeah, they're doing this work. and it's the, the boat's clearly not traveling at, at 150 miles an hour. And yet it does give that impression. And the impact from the boat itself or the model itself as it hits, no, I think it is a boat, as it hits the rock, it's never that fast. It has been sped up. But, you know, and the mm -hmm. music's pumping and they're getting that adrenaline going and you know they're thrown out of the boat and there he is at that last moment i think they're just trying to increase it along but I, I'm, all, I'm very keen on, on seeing how many movies i can start to watch at 1.5 or faster before it gets to the point where i have to go oh no wait, no, wait i have to stop this and put it back to normal again but that's an interesting point i hadn't considered that before yeah. but i will i'll try it i'm going to give it a go and see what it's like I it's have a good DVD point player. in sorry in i have awesome. a dvd player that allows me to listen to the sound at oh you do oh oh wow <laughs> i just wanted to throw that in like oh, it's like chipmunks watch. then too when does it get to chipmunks stage yeah exactly yeah 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 alvin and the bond movies um <laughs> But one of the things I think is very interesting is just looking at this from a historical standpoint and understanding that action pace and action, mm -hmm. you know, what we consume as an audience has changed over time. And you two could not have set up the next image better because mm -hmm. it is a 
who's done it better? And it's a very unfair one in some ways, but we have two train scenes. Oh, dude. Right. We've got yeah. From Russia with Love, and we've got this film called Spectre I've heard about. Um, <laughs> and you've got two train scenes with our nemesis and Bond. And let's talk about it. Who Who's done it better? Who wants to go first here? Uh, and why? <laughs> well, I mean, Lisa, do you mind? Can I just uh, dive in here for a second? It's, it's not so much who's done it better, but I think let, let's look at the, the comparisons between the two. Firstly, from a, um, uh, from a train building perspective, which, which always concerns me. In 1963, when they're having that fight on there, it's rigid, it's solid engineering. Uh, you know, you don't get hmm. the entire train carriage falling apart when somebody falls into it like you do Inspector. This bothers me slightly from a general health and safety point of view. <laughs> Having said that, from a from a technical film perspective, um, uh, they've they've applied both lessons to both sequences. Uh, originally, uh, the fight in the carriage in, in From Russia With Love is filmed three times. You have the actors doing it, you have the stunt doubles doing it, and then you have the pickup shots, i.e. the director deciding that's a better shot here. I want to see more of Sean's face. So Jack Cooper, who's in that particular photograph there, not the best fitting wig, Jack, to be fair with you, but then, you know, they, they weren't spending an awful lot of money on wigs maybe back then in uh, in British cinema. But these are, these are the type of shots I want to see more of Connery's face. Okay, no problem. When you compare it to the Spectre fight, again, uh, the actors would have done it, the doubles would have done it, and you'd have had those pickup shots, but there's a great deal more of the two actors going at it in this sequence. Uh, in the, there's, there's more to do. There's more space to cover. They're not only staying in the dining car, they're running through to the, to the mail car as well and the baggage car, so there's a lot more distance to cover. Um, the exciting element about From Russia With Love is that it's done in shadow. The one of the first moments that happens is the light of the carriage is shot out, and that then allows for more play as far as the stunt doubles are concerned. It, the editor must have been thinking, oh, that's fantastic. Now I get a chance to play about with it because you don't have to hide a lot of stuff. I've gone through that sequence at half frame and half, half, half frame and slowed it right the way down. You only see one double twice. In the in the movie, and you only see both doubles together once, but it's a it's a, a blink and you'll miss it moment. Um, whereas in the Spectre fight, there is when you see people falling through, when Bond is falling through this, or the other guy's been set on fire. You know, it's very clearly the stunt double. There's no CGI work there. They haven't done face replacement in that fight. Uh, only a couple of times in the movie they do it, uh, and there is a photograph of. Um, um, of the stunt doubles with with dots on their face from later on, but but that fight there, Inspector, is more of the actors yeah. than um, than certainly the the train fight. Uh, which one do I prefer? I prefer that I prefer from Russia with Love on the basis that it was maybe the one that that set everything else up on on past that. Plus the one on Spy Who Loved Me as well. That's why I said it was a little bit unfair. But Lisa, what about you? So I know that that is a stunt double, but Red Grant always reminds me of Daniel Craig. So just saying there's a connect. Oh. Anytime I watch it, I'm like, he looks like Daniel Craig. Yeah. So I always found that interesting to have like this villain figure early on who then becomes like a template for Bond, just like in mm -hmm. terms of their physique, their looks. And, um, you know, it's interesting because I do expect and would expect um, Daniel Craig and Batista 
to be doing more hands-on action because the two of them are more hands-on in terms of, of the type of action that both of them have done um, in previous films and one of them is a wrestler. So for me, I see that as just being like more of a wrestling move and I would expect the two of them to have more shots and for there to be a lot more participation just in sort of like the general sense of, of action. Hmm. Uh, in terms of everything John said was brilliant, by the way. Um, in terms of what I, I prefer, I don't like Spectre, so <laughs> just throwing that out there. I do prefer From Russia With Love because, again, these types of fight sequences, it's, it's not as if there's, there were so many going on at the time that you can then sort of go on and start innovating, right? Mm -hmm. You're talking about creating action sequences at the beginning of the action craze. And there, that you, you are experimenting. And so shadows matter and positions matter and what you see matter. And they're working and they're trying to make it happen and make it work and making yeah. something so memorable that it then gets replicated in subsequent films. I think there's something to be said about setting that type of, of an action standard. So I yeah. think I would give it to From Russia With Love. Yeah, I, I also think that there's a, there's a great deal more uh, conception for plot and for story in From Russia With Love, whereas Spectre does appear to throw action scenes at you whether you like them or not. You know, we've got that, the dialogue that's happening between uh, Bond and Swan at the, at the dining table, there's almost none of it at all. You know, you get to that stage and all of a sudden there's a fight. Yeah. And I feel as though if that had gone on further, we'd have maybe found out a little bit about the two of them more. You know, we'd have we'd have found out more about the storyline, and maybe you wouldn't have had to have had so much of an elongated fight sequence, hmm. um, as entertaining as it is. But I feel as though and, it probably has its issues. Well, maybe of note too is that Inspector, you do have the the Bond girl playing a more active part i mean she does have a gun she oh, sure. shoots you know hinks in the shoulder and you know whereas uh, you know and from russia with love she's asleep mm. you know she's been knocked out <laughs> yes that's right yes that's very true uh, also, sorry go ahead Lisa. Good. Oh, i was just going to add to what you were talking about like the action and i think this is something that when we think about the role of action in an action film mm. Is it there just to be spectacle and i feel with specter the mm. action's there because like we need a car chase here you go, we need a train chase, here you go, versus this idea that action is part of the narrative. Action yeah. is also telling a story. It's bodies in motion telling us and giving us a narrative from start to finish. There has to be a purpose. And I feel yes. as though there's a purpose in the first film, in this film, and I, I just don't think there was a clear narrative inspector. I think there were a lot of uh, ideas and concepts that were not braided together, but we yes. have to ask that question, like, is there a purpose to the action that we are seeing other than spectacle and you know let's blow up something inspector and make it the biggest explosion and not film it very well and it's just like yeah. that does nothing for me right that's just a lot of like environmental destruction and just it's happened very weird it, but you you do yeah. see how many how many movies have you seen that, that all of a sudden there's an action scene and you think why oh i know because they've run out of plot or they've run out of script or you know Absolutely. we have to fill six minutes so th th you can see why it happens and unfortunately i don't think it should be happening in in, in a franchise like this yeah there there are some that you know the the 
unfortunately, I, I, I tend to call it action porn, you know, porn or action for action's sake, just kind of thrust in there. Sure. But there are ones that work. And I, I, I can't help but think about even like in the Westerns, when you suddenly have a bar fight, and it mm -hmm. leads to kind of the next image where you've got some pretty interesting <laughs> scenes, but you also have kind of a Western like bar fight with glasses yeah. smashing and things like that. But Lisa, I mean, what do you think about this? Is it action for action's sake? Does it have some pretty badass moments? Yeah, and I feel as though here we are, 1989. I feel as though this is a film that is really leading into and leading into women in action, right? In a more typical way, we've had Alien and Aliens already. We've had the first Terminator, we're coming to the second Terminator. Mm -hmm. And I, I see Pam Bouvier as being a precursor to women playing more of a central action-oriented role in the James Bond franchise. And she's somebody who has, you know, the big gun and it's very phallic in nature and big guns. I mean, a lot of action women at this time, it's the low slung gun, right? It's supposed to be there because action is typically coded as being masculine and being quite phallic in nature. And so women are um, possessing the signifiers of masculinity. And so she is there and she's trying to take care of herself. And you, you, I mean, when you look at the dynamics of even the bar, there are women dancing and there are women as servers. And then she's occupying this space and going toe to toe with the men in the bar who tend to be the patrons. And, and she's wearing a Kevlar vest. She gets shot. You know, she does play a central action oriented role um, in this, in this entire sequence. And so yeah. I think there's a lot to be said about her representation in this film and the centering of action, women, action women or women as action heroes mm. in the world of James Bond. Yeah. You, um, you, we've come a long way in the Dalton movies from, from Cara to, to Pam Bouvier. Would you have seen Cara do this, you know, with a, with a pump action shotgun and a, and a, and a vest like this? No, um, most certainly. And, and, but the, the fact that her character, she's a CIA operative, you know, mm -hmm. she is working uh, as part of uh, Felix Leiter's network. And she knows about this sort of stuff. She knows how to handle a weapon. She knows that, you know, it's a Wednesday night, should I, or Saturday night, should I be, you know, turning up at the barrel head bar, a woman alone, turning up at a bar and sitting at a table and waiting for, and how many, how many men has she had to fend off beforehand to go take a hike, you know, and I've got a gun here, don't mess with me, and all this sort of general stuff. But the, the, also from the, from the fight itself, it's a very new type of fight that we hadn't seen up to that point, mm -hmm. you know. Um, we've seen brawls before in, in pictures but not in a bond especially or there was the there was the gypsy fight there in uh, in from russia with love uh when uh, you know krilenkov starts that that whole fighting sequence but here in the bar um it's good old-fashioned barbaral you know it's how many other films do you know when when a swordfish is taken off the wall and used <laughs> as a weapon uh and 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 broken through a chair that suddenly disintegrates yeah. uh but she's doing a lot of this great stuff herself you know um she gets the guy and flips him over the because he grabs hold of the gun and she flips him over her head um 
Paul Weston said that that took some time to do, but she was very good. She was very determined to get it done. The guy was standing on a little box at the back just to get some additional height so he didn't clatter her in the head with his knees when he came over the top because she knew that oh, she had to just duck down and stay put. This wasn't going over her shoulder. He was he was going to go over the top of her head. So she was aware that she was likely to get a beating from this in some shape or form, but she said, fine, it's cool. That's what, that's what happens, you know? I mean, that's the role I'm playing. And uh, a, a lot of those action bits around it is terrific um and of course the whole he arrives with the boat and it took me years literally years to understand what he says he says put a stern in put her in stern in so i can go out again and, and of course that makes an awful lot of sense for the leaving but i i I've, i don't know, must have heard i've had uh, senior hearing moment I think possibly from that for years um, what I thought he was saying I haven't a clue but it makes a lot of sense for when they just leave and then and then sail off and of course she gets shot you know but luckily wearing the vest but it's a great so, fight so John I, I I can't believe this but I actually have to correct you there has been a brawl in a previous Bond film to this one and it is uh I'm almost embarrassed to say it's almost it's Casino Royale 1967 oh, oh, oh that brawl yes I see yes. <laughs> oh that film oh yeah uh, and also features that. features cowboys and Indians. Yes, that's very true. I hadn't thought of that. Yes, you're quite right. Um, I'll uh, I'll leave the room if it's all the same. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. <clears throat> all right, this this next image to me is nearly iconic. It's it's arguably an action scene to itself, but it also leads into an interesting action scene. But it also talks about the powerfulness, I believe, of a villain, or if you want to use the term villainess, and that is the um, Mayday moment from A View to a Kill, which I, I still maintain, I think Mayday is probably the single best part and thing associated with A View to a Kill. And I've had some harsh words for the film, but um, nothing harsh about Mayday. But John, I mean, I'm sure you've got tons of information, but this, this really is kind of a wow moment for the audience. Well, it is. I mean, um, there's, it's, it's still not terribly clear at the start of that sequence. You know, is it a man? Is it a woman? Nobody knows really particularly. Um, and then you only really catch sight of that partway through, the, through the, the chase up the Eiffel Tower. But the concept behind it um, is, is sensational. We're in Paris. Let's use the Eiffel Tower. I know, let's get somebody skydiving off the top of it, or base jumping, as it's now known. Um, and everybody always talks about, you know, B.J. Worth and, 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 uh, and, and being able to jump off. And you see the little ramp at the end, yeah. of, at the very top, when he jumps off, uh, because Michael Wilson said to him, you're going to need to run for this. You know, uh, Michael Wilson, a very hands-on producer, not just a case of, producing and finding the money, but also very good at maths and worked out the trigonometry and said, you know, worked out the feet per second per second and said, you need three and a half seconds and then pull your shoot. Oh, thanks, Michael. You know, all this sort of stuff that you think, hey, this guy's really cool. He's not just the producer. He's going to save my life. Um, but also from a from a coordinating point of view, this section itself is not, uh, you know, the, the skydiving, that's all left to, to BJ and the team. Um, but of course, Martin Grace works that the, the section leading up to that. And at the time, um, uh, 1985 in the UK, and it's UK stunt guys there, there's only one black stuntman on the British register, who's Clive Curtis, who joined in 1976. There aren't any. The next one that turns up is in 1987. So as you can imagine, you know, we've had a very long period of time 
and so Clive Curtis uh, doubles uh, Grace going out onto the the uh, very clearly walking out onto the girders there before the jump before she whips the cape off ah oh, it's her and then she makes that jump you know um, but it's still it's a staggering sequence and it's so important to the film that um, uh, Godly and Cream, who directed the music video for uh, uh, for Duran Duran, thought it appropriate enough. Right, let's film the video there. You know, it's got every time I, I went to Paris a couple of years after that, and I was doing exactly the same thing. You know, as a kid, you go, "This is fantastic." I'm on the Eiffel Tower where she jumped, and um, well, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to do it. I must admit, but uh, that was it was some leap. But again, yeah, very iconic, I think. And then the, the chase after it is very iconic as well. But it's great fun, the movie. I love it. Lisa, this is a, an introduction to what I term a very capable and, by the way, very effective and successful um, villain, an assassin. You know, you could almost you know, put her head to head and, you know, is Bond as successful as she is. But what do you think about the reveal? What do you think about the action moment? I, I've always loved this scene. And even as a child, it fascinated me because I love butterflies. And mm. so right before this iconic jump, you have the scene where Bond's trying to get information. You've got the mm. butterflies flying around with the woman singing opera. And then like one butterfly has a hook and it hits the guy in the face. And so I've always likened what um, this action sequence shows is a connection between the butterflies as being a killing mechanism and a butterfly as being an escape mechanism because she does Whoa. sort of take flight and fly away. So I've always seen, <laughs> but I've always seen a connection between like the imagery at the beginning and it's well conceptualized that that's the imagery at the end. So I've always connected the two of them. And then when we look at Grace Jones as Mayday, who was involved in the costume design, who was yep. very bright and colorful in terms of her costume. But for me, Mayday is the film. Mayday is an assassin. Mayday, I mean, there's issues with her representation, so I'm, I'm not gonna say that, that there aren't some stereotypes that are involved. Uh, very much like Zulu from Conan the Destroyer, there's a connection there between mm -hmm. some of the imagery. But when I think about Mayday, Mayday is somebody who kills a lot of people but Mayday is also somebody who chooses her own ending. And that never happens for women villains. It never happens. She is betrayed by Zorin. She decides, oh, you want to screw me? I'm going to screw over your plans. She's the one who uses the crank, you know, Bond's down there being like, oh, can you carry me? And, and she's cranking it out. She's the one who continues on the trolley, finishes the mission that Bond's like, oh, no, what are we going to do? She's like, no, I'm going to do it. And she dies on her own terms. And for me, there's something so empowering about seeing not just a woman of color in a James Bond film being bold, being brave, being strong, being feminine at the same time as strong, but having that much self-determination. I think all of that um, is the reason why every time I watch this film, I always think that Mayday, Mayday and Zorin combined, but Mayday yeah. specifically, is the most interesting aspect of this in entire film for me. And I think the, the franchise owners at the time knew that because, I mean, mm -hmm. it is the first time, statistically speaking, that a, a, a Bond girl, if you want to call her that, a Bond villain, if you will, um, is the same size on the poster. You've got her yeah. and you've got Roger Moore. And she looks very action oriented. She she looks like a muscle because, you know, she she really came to the table with that strong essence. And I, I think that's why the the action scenes and even the redemption action scene at the end is so powerful. It, 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 there's an interesting moment, really, because the, the, the idea that obviously she's killed Tibbet, 
right? And Tibbet has been has been Bond's, uh, you know, Doctor Watson for this entire thing, yeah. and then to suddenly say, you know. They join forces. Often, I think, really, it's bothered me slightly. But you can understand long term that she realizes that you know she's been double crossed in a big way. Get Zorin for me and all that sort of stuff. But and then she goes and and takes the bomb outside. But he says to Zorin, you know, um, uh, killing Zorin was a mis uh, killing Tibbet was a mistake. So well, I'm going to make the same mistake again. You know, okay this is my friend you've killed my friend she did it you know but there's no real comeback as far as that's concerned because all of a sudden there's a there's a mutual thing between the two of them um the, the post is an interesting concept you know has he met his match no but you know i i, I think it you know if she took him outside she'd give him a really good hiding i mean there's no doubt about it he, was, he wasn't in great wasn't in great happen. shape back then was he but that explains your question as to why there is no conflict between them at the no, end exactly, but yeah. and bond together she would kick his butt and so yeah. i think that she's just she's she's set up as being physically superior and there never is any sort of like bond redemptive justice in this no, film. No. She gets away literally with murder and chooses her own exit to the yeah. film. Yeah, that's a good Wait, point. Go. And even that 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 um, that very emotional moment, which I actually thought was very well done, and I bought it of when you know she sees Jenny Flex and she goes uh, Jenny, yeah. and she's floating away. I mean, you could almost say that you know I don't know people that paint her in one dimension. I mean, she's probably the most dimensional character in that film in many ways, but we're gonna go to a different dimension. We're gonna change everything about this discussion for the last two images. Mm -hmm. And now you can think of what we just talked about for the last hour as a bit of a warm up to this, because I'm gonna do something very unfair to both of you. Is it dance? What? It <laughs> is dance. It's a dance off. Here we go. I'm gonna do the cabbage patch. Okay. No, it's not a, First of all, how to do the mashed potato. Yes. Justice would win that, so it's not ah, fair. Super. No, this is I'm going to show you images from a movie that hasn't debuted yet. Oh, and the oh, images right. we've only caught in trailers or moments. But so we here's can make what this I up now. This is great. Yeah, well, it's right. not so much I want to know what your hope is. Mm. You've seen the action. What are you hoping for? Maybe what you're expecting, but what are you hoping for? And here's the first image, which we've seen in several of the trailers with this character. And Lisa, I'll let you go first. Well, first of all, when I see this image, I think of the dress of Anya Amasova from The Spy Who Loved Me. So that's mm. my first notion that there's some sort of connection there that she is gonna then be an ally agent. The fact that this is the only image we have seen of this particular woman in character tells me that she's probably gonna play a minor role in the film, that we might only get, say, one scene with her. But the idea of showing me a woman, you know, double fisting machine guns is always an exciting prospect. And, and you know, I think about, you know, dresses and, and there's a feminine image and of course Charlize Theron and Atomic Blonde. Like, I'm just hoping that she has a real, like, kick-ass type of, of role um, where she looks a particular part and oftentimes, there's this theory, uh, Marianne Doan's theory of the masquerade of femininity, that oftentimes women wear their womanliness as a mask to hide their possession of, say, traditionally masculine qualities. And so even Michelle Yeoh in some of her Hong Kong films would appear, you know, intentionally girly and then like turn around and roundhouse kick 
a guy, right? So put him off off guard and then sort of come in for the kill. And I'm wondering if that's something that we will get with her where she has a very particular image. She looks very feminine and beautiful and she is a beautiful woman and then turns around and picks up the two machine guns and offers bomb the backup that he needs on his mission. So yeah, and I have to tell you, I, I, you've given me now my thumbnail title. It's going to be Double Fisting Machine Guns. Uh, that's going to be the title of the video. What do you like that? I thought I'd hear on a Friday afternoon. John, you've seen Paloma flipping, shooting, as Lisa denotes, um, being even snarky to Bond. I mean, there, there's, some, there's some potential Stop. setup for some cool, uh, cool moments here. What do you think? Well, I, I think uh, it's interesting. Anna Damas, of course, uh, you know, the the star of um, um, of Knives Out, mm-hmm. and so uh, how I don't think she. I wouldn't have thought she's going to be in this terribly long. I, I'm suspecting that maybe that this was part of a longer Felix Leiter sequence, possibly that mm-hmm. that had been dragged out. But nevertheless. Evidently, from we do see in the trailer that Bond arrives, he then gets ready and says, "I'm ready," and then evidently they go off together as what you know a team, um, and it looks very much as though you know she is confronting the enemy or she's confronting uh, whoever she's confronting in this particular instance. This is the thing about this: we don't know. We have to speculate. I know. But looking at it, you know, it looks very much as though uh, you know she's. Uh, She's ready for action. He's in a tux, uh, and we have seen elements of, of another location that he's attending in a tux. Is she with him? Do they go together? Is this afterwards? You know, there's a number of different aspects here, uh, but certainly, you know, it gives the impression that uh, whatever. Uh, I wouldn't be at all surprised if that that one of those weapons has come from uh the top of that stocking or a garter possibly or similarly a holster up there so you know that type of feel to it um and uh, it's going to be explosive and uh, incredibly expensive i would have thought I don't, I, they're not going to uh, uh, skimp on a, on a great deal of uh, of cash here that's they're going to throw it all on screen in however long this particular action sequence lasts for but it certainly looks as though they're going to deliver i i agree i i you know first of all it's it's incredibly dynamic i mean this scene obviously uh, excuse the vernacular, but I guess I can swear on my own show. Shit hits the fan clearly. Dude. You know, Dude. something happens here. And, you know, I love the fact that they're highlighting this. But Lisa and, I, and John, you said the same thing. I think this is going to be short. And what I'm hoping is in this action film, because I think we're all going to like this character, um, I hope it's not short because something is ended short, like her life. Like, I would love to have this kind of capable action moment with this new action hero and she says you know you know james you're wanted back in england or wherever he goes from here and hands him his tickets and tosses him away or whatever it is as opposed to you know a sacrificial another sacrificial lamb i agree with that and i feel as though this is a film where there are a lot of women and i love it when bond is is supported by women but bond doesn't have you don't sleep with everyone you work with, right? Bond doesn't have to have sex with every single agent, right? Like, and so I, I love the idea. And again, I mean, she does have the garter belt. I mean, that's that's it's feminine, but it's sexualizing her. It's kind of Laura Croft, but it's also kind of Pam Bouvier. Like there are these elements there, but I love the idea of having a woman support Bond in the field. Rock on, high five, save the world. 
And, and that's how you would deal with other agents because you just don't sleep with everybody that you meet in the workplace. I'm just, I'm just saying it doesn't happen. Yeah. I mean, Camille well, fared, fared well. Camille did not sleep with Bond and, you know, she's, I think she's one of the better, you know, characters and yeah. um, in a, in a film that again, gets a lot of dings, but I think there's a great moment there. John, you're going to say that, something. Yeah. Oh, well, I was just going to say, I, I, I lost you for a, for a, a, a few seconds there while my, um, uh, the hamster was running around the wheel. We were muting the, uh, you because we were talking about you. Um, <laughs> I knew that. Uh, but uh, that was uh, the Camille uh, reference you were making there. Was uh, I was going to mention that earlier on when you when you were talking about Michelle Yeoh uh, and how the the uh, the love the end of that action sequence between Bond and and uh, Wei Lin, you know, felt awkward. In in the respect that it possibly didn't need to be there, but Roger Spotters with the director maybe thought we need a love scene at the end of this. There has to be something. I know. Let's start by him giving her the kiss of life and then moving on. Which you didn't need to do that with Camille. Camille was also a very capable individual uh, because she had a she had a mission that of her own that she wanted to try and sort out um, and was able to pull that trigger. You know. So I think maybe we we see, it, although maybe briefly, but we we will see it from uh, from Paloma's character. Yeah. And, you know, there's a, the, the last image is another speculative one. Lisa's already hinted to it. I had to show it because I think it's really going to set up something truly exciting from what I can see from a visual standpoint. And, and there's a couple reasons and I'd like to make some observations uh, before we chat about this, because this is the old team up. I mean, this is really just teaming one agent with another, and we won't even get into the debate of numbers and who's got which numbers, but one thing from a wardrobe standpoint is they didn't, number one, they didn't over-centralize, obviously, Nomi. Um, but the other thing is, and you may not, not have spotted this yet, but of course I did, they actually are wearing the same watch in this shot. Now, it, it, Lisa's getting close to the screen. I'll send you shots. But from, from Omega, I know that Omega supplied them literally the same watch, which interestingly, this is Bond's retirement watch. I mean, it is the watch he has when he's retired before he's pulled out of retirement all throughout. So the fact that she has this same watch, very similar weaponry, potential gadgets I'll even poke at, is very interesting on how this is setting up. Now, we have to speculate a little bit. All right, so how is this thing going to fall out? Uh, is it Bond that gets caught and maybe Nomi doesn't? I don't know. What, what, what do you think, John? His retirement watch has gadgets. Does no, this happen? I didn't with say a, that. An average carriage clock that you're presented. Thank you for 30 years service. Do, 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 don't don't use the sweep hand. You know, <laughs> don't all that touch stuff. that. Don't touch that. That's 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 not going to. No. Uh, well, I mean, you know, what am I looking at? I'm looking at a sequence here that um, it looks like. It looks like the end of, of one of those movies where they said, right, we need to go in and sort this out. Let's go and get the guy out. And, you know, they're all dressed the same way. It's, it's, a, it's an episode of the A-Team or mm. it's, you know, it's that type of thing. It's where everybody now has to get inside the whatever it is they're inside. Um, it, to, to, for you to suggest that they're all wearing the same watches suggests that that's significant, uh, that, you know, maybe these watches are... Uh, they can communicate with each other through them or whatever they can do, or they can locate wherever they're trying to go for. Um, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of serious hardware going on. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's the type of thing I think that, uh, that only time will tell, but 
the set itself is clever enough that there's lots of hiding areas there's lots of places where there can be uh, uh, ambushes and various other bits and pieces what am i looking for i'm looking for i'm looking for a good old fashioned um boiler suit fight at the end of the movie whether i'm going to get one between the guys in the red boiler suits and the guys in the in the expensive sweaters i don't know but uh you know we'll we'll have to we'll have to hope and find out but uh it looks as though that it's uh, it's preparing for trouble yeah lisa your your hope for this action moment i like john's you know, when I think about this, I think about the Matrix and I think about Trinity mm. and Neo walking into the building and their imagery is identical, right? Yeah. Their hair is pretty much the same length and they are dressed, iconography, like the iconography is visual style and codes in film, and they are dressed the same and the goal is to present them as a team, right? And that they're both equally capable and then they fight alongside. So when I see mm. this, I see, you know, two um, characters who are still fighting for the same number, right? One is older and retired. One is, is sort of the replacement and younger, but they're fighting side by side. They are dressed the same and they're on the same mission. Now, the fact that Bond is going first and is before um, um, her and before Nomi, I, I, I mean, I could speculate and talk about physical levels and things like that, but I, I don't really want to go there. But what I do see is that the two of them are going to team up and need each other. And the imagery is telling me that the two of them are walking into battle together. And whether they stay together or they fight separately and come together again, I don't know. But it tells me that they're both going to be presented as capable, competent agents in this film and i don't know how it's going to end uh, i don't know how things are going to be resolved but i love the fact that they are going to work together and i love the fact that we are going to get um another strong black woman in this franchise who is going to be action oriented um and we were talking about grace jones as mayday i think lashana lynch as as nomi um, is going to play a really, really strong role in this film. And by the way, just to throw out this, it's going to be the first film with Money Penny and Felix Leiter, also played by black actors in the same film. And so this is a film that does have three black characters as being the core team around Bond. And that is huge for a James Bond film. So I just want to throw that out there that I'm really excited to see these characters interact with each other and with Bond and to see them support him on his, because again, it's still a Bond film, right? Still support him on whatever personal or professional mission he's on. Uh, well, yeah, I see that. I, th I also think just for the purpose of, of why he's going up the stairs first, the barrel of his gun is longer. If she goes up and he stands that close behind her, he's going to poke her in the backside. <laughs> it's probably simpler that, that he goes up first, I think, just from a, a general logic perspective. That's actually a really good point. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> well, I know. So we have to kind of roll this back because we are at the end of this discussion. We just talked about action that we don't know is fully going to be playing out, but I think that's the excitement of this. But first of all, I want to thank my co-host to this discussion who brought so much, including some mind blowing information, John and Lisa, thank you so much for joining in this. You're very welcome. It's been great fun. Butterflies. Oh my goodness. I'm going to have to I'll never get over study my lepidoptery much more. This is ridiculous. Um, but uh, yes, no, it's been great fun. Lisa, thank you. Oh, and thank you, John. I mean, you've given so much food for thought and so much insight and my knowledge and understanding of James Bond has grown simply from this conversation with you. Great pleasure. 
And we've made a promise that we're going to bring John and uh, Dr. Lisa back for the Bond sensuality video. So we'll, <laughs> we'll get on that right away. But in the meantime, this has been David Zaritsky for the Bond Experience. And we'll see you all real soon. Take care. Bye. Thanks for watching this episode. If you want to be up on the latest from the Bond Experience, just click on this subscribe and subscribe to our channel. You're going to get all the latest and greatest information plus some exclusive content. And by the way, speaking of content, here's something especially for you just because we know you. Talk to you soon.